0: This is an exclusive presentation of WO 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered. Hey, welcome back to Unholstered. My name is Kayla Blakesley. I am just one of your hosts here on Unholstered, and I'm sitting alongside
1: my co-host, Sophia. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia rosales Catina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome back to Unholstered.
0: I am so hyped for today's episode. Um, But before we get to it, allow me to take a moment to remind you that you can listen to any previous episodes of Unholstered because they're all good. Um, Anywhere you download a podcast, uh, just search for the Unholstered podcast. You can download, you can listen anytime, anywhere. But today, Sophia, it is all about body farms. And yes, like I said, i'm I'm hyped about this topic because I mean, this show is all about sharing and telling and talking about stories that just don't often get told uh, when it comes to law enforcement, not only here in, in in Indiana, but really across the country. And I feel like no one uh, ever talks about body farms, you know, and the training specifically that goes on at body farms.
1: <laughs> right. and And going on with that, I, I want to preface. You know, people always say that, you know, officers need more training and training and training and training. What they don't know is actually how much we get, where we get it and the quality of the of the training that we do receive. Um, So that this show is kind of predicated on that notion of just awesome training that our police officers go through to make this community safer, better and more just. So. I brought on someone. He's currently retired, but um, he was, I believe, one of our first officers to actually attend the body farm. And, little side note, little gem of information, he was also one of my field training officers.
0: Oh, yeah. He's got got the the dirt.
1: dirt. Um, Yeah, and he's just, uh, he now has a different job in retirement, but um, we're going to bring him back in studio to talk about that later. Um, But I just wanted to give him a chance to introduce himself, and he's just um, a really good guy, so go ahead.
2: Hi, I'm Christopher Meals. I was with the Fort Wayne Police Department for about 27 years. Prior to that, I worked over in Ohio as a law enforcement officer for six and a half years before coming here and I was lucky enough to get into the crime scene management division in January of 1995, 21 years of it.
0: Uh, Wow, definitely a long time, 21 years. I cannot wait to hear how you got into training at a body farm uh, or being even a part of that. Um, But before we get into that, can one of you, Sophia and or Chris, um, define what a body farm is? I'll let Chris
1: do that. (laughs) (laughs) I I know I'll mess it up.
2: (laughs) Well, they really call it like an anthropology research center down there at the University of Tennessee is the one I attended. But it's a study of human bodies after death and decomposition and maybe entomology and many other science studies they do down there and within this facility.
0: What on earth led you to this career path?
2: I always had an interest in crime scene. Um, I liked photography. When I was in high school, I started photography classes and I'm also law enforcement background. My father, my uncle, my cousin were all police officers. So it was just in the family and I kinda knew that I was gonna be a police officer. I didn't know about crime scene until later in the years I was, had an opportunity to get to Fort Wayne on the police department as a lateral transfer in 1990. And then it was hard to get into crime scene and I had this interest of fingerprinting and photography and. Death itself to me is curious. I think a lot of people have that. It's interesting. Kayla. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's how I got my interest started, and I was lucky enough to get in and get the training.
0: So you mentioned you went to the body farm in Tennessee. Does every state have a body farm or just a limited number of states? And if so, how many?
2: No. um, In fact, the Tennessee was one of the first ones, I believe, in the country to be a body farm. There was a place out in California, if you wanted osteology, you wanted bones for osteology study, it was called a bone room, and you could purchase human remains, bones, for study. But um, Dr. Bass, down at the University of Tennessee, needed a place to do research on decomposition and other things, as some of his investigations were leading in that direction to try to determine time after death. I think now there's four or five that do. Um, But this one was established back, um, I think, in 2001 was was the actual National Forensic Academy was established for the research there for law enforcement. But I think it dates back to maybe 1981 is when they first got the first body donated to the body farm as such.
1: Sophia, have you been to one? I have not been to one. I would so go to one in a heartbeat. Can I go with you? <laughs> yes. I just find this fascinating, you know, because they these people donate their bodies to science. They put them out, and they're just, they're decomping in different weather. So Tennessee has that up and down climate, kind of like us. Probably doesn't get as cold as we do here. But, you know, through the through the fall, through the summer, what does a body look like? So that helps us when we find a body Unfortunately, when we do find them out in the elements, we can really determine a lot of things, like how long they've been there. You know, there's whole things like on the entomology side, it's like what generation of fly and larva is there, you know, because you can spot that generationally so you can know and then you know how long it takes for each segment of larva to become the fly, to become whatever. So it kind of helps you build that timeline. Right, and it's fascinating. Um, I am not like a highly... um, analytical person like that does well in science and math but man this stuff fascinates me to the core yeah
0: as you can imagine i have so many questions first of all you both you both use the word donate donating their bodies to science Mm -hmm. is this something that i mean i mean how does one donate their body or do families say hey i'd like to donate so-and-so's body how does that work
2: i don't know the exact process of how that works i do know that like the uh indiana university they you to donate and I know there's time frames involved I don't know what the paper process is but you'd have to make those arrangements prior to your death for um, IU Um, for the body farm though I believe they'll take any time shortly after death Um, it's any family member contact them and I'm sure there's a slew of forms to fill out but then they can bring the body there to that facility to use it for whatever they'd like to for whatever testing
0: it's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around because there's there's zero preservation of this body, right? Like, like right. you just said, Sophia, you're putting it out in the elements. I mean, you're talking about flies, but I'm also thinking about other animals yeah, that are in the element, mm-hmm. or whether that's a forest or the woods <laughs> yeah. or I don't, I don't know what have you. So the bodies are just laying there fair game. I'm just trying to – I've never seen mm-hmm. one, so I'm trying to paint this picture.
2: And that's true. The, there's animal carnivore activity. Um, at the body farm at the University of Tennessee, they um, have in the past laid bodies out and poured sand around it so they could see the footprints of the carnivores mm. that are coming to visit it. And, of course, they also now have the ability of cameras so you can visually see what's coming and uh, taking part in the body. But um, that's one of the studies they've done. Of course, they do entomology down there um, to help determine the time of death after or the time after death. And, um They also would do studies at different times of the year because if it's a winter death and they want to see the decomposition through winter or through summer, Hmm. um, down there, Dr. Bass said anywhere from 10 to 14 days in direct sunlight during the hottest part of the year, you can be totally skeletonized within a matter of that time period of 10 to 14 days. And he was always trying to get a good set of bones to work with for his osteology students. But it was always hard. They tried to boil parts. They tried to scrape the the bones and ligaments and tissue off. And it always damaged the bones. And they ended up finding out the best way to get a good set of bones was to let nature take its course. And that's the entomology. We'll clean a set of bones for you. Wow.
1: I didn't know it happened so quickly. Yeah, I mean, either. could happen so quickly. Well, you think about it, how hot it could be and just yeah i mean i have been mm-hmm. to de- i've seen dead bodies that have been in in homes maybe with no air conditioning mm-hmm. for in the hot heat of the summer yeah and those have been pretty pretty awful so i could imagine what they'd be like actually in direct sunlight mm-hmm. then with that but i do want to ask chris how long was your training there
2: um it's a 10 week course um it's 40 hours a week you stay there the first two to three weeks is primarily in classroom as you start to learn about photography and evidence collection and preservation and then you move into mock crime scenes and they start taking you outside and they use abandoned homes or we use cars or we have a fire cell. If you wanna learn about fire deaths and how fire travels, they have all these things outside, so he start doing a lot more outside classroom the last six, seven weeks.
1: Yeah, so that's 10 weeks of training on top of what he already has to do to maintain his certification. So uh, when people say, you know, officers don't get enough training, I think they really need to slow down and actually see what we do get yeah. and what some people do get. And, and this is just, you know, as well as I do by doing the show, that this is the norm for the Fort Wayne Police Department in terms of specializing in certain things that we do.
0: So then walk, can you walk us through this a little bit? What's, and this might actually be a hard question to answer, but what typically, if you could put, you know, on the average, what typically happens to a corpse after, after death?
2: Well, it just starts de- decomposing, and that can start with um, your abdominal area. You'll start seeing a greenish-blue color in the skin tissue. Um, that's where it starts, I think, because the liver and the organs start decomposing and you start to begin to liquefy. So you're gonna to start to bless, bubble or blister. Um, you'll start seeping fluids. Um, if you have ability for fly infestation, then that gets increased a fast rate and flies will start laying their eggs and the, the maggots will then uh, hatch and begin to eat the body for them to grow. So it just depends on your environment exactly, but you become a liquid state then at some point um, then you'll just be bones and in many 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 years you know your bones will start to decompose
0: so you've you've been to a body farm you've kind of learned these different different crime scenes then how do you okay. apply that to a typical i don't know crime scene that mm-hmm. you'd see around here
2: well a typical crime scene we're going to be talking to people to try to get information we want to know when were they last seen okay um so law enforcement starts that process. The police officer goes to the scene because they've been called to someone who's deceased, either a neighbor or family member or friend has found them deceased. And obviously the time of death is best known by a witness, but if there's no witness to the time of death, then the police officers start asking, well, when did you last see them? When did you last text them? When did you last call them? So that gives us a timeline to start with of when they were last seen. And if it's been three weeks, well, you was there mail piled up in the mailbox and stuff? And when was the last, the most oldest piece of mail stamped and dated? So these things kind of help you out in trying to figure out a timeline.
1: Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of things that go into it, aside from just learning about the body. Um, but we all know, and Chris knows as well, that people lie about sometimes about the time right, the that, that they've talked tell, to then, them. Right? So then the body, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what, that's why make. this so important is because they then can go back and like no no Mm -hmm. no this body's showing me they were you know dead a week prior to when you're saying you call them or talk to them so
2: we also look at the mortises you know we have liver mortis rigor mortis and algor mortis now algor mortis is the temperature of the body and it says the average body size and average climate will lose a degree per hour but that's probably the most inconsistent for us because um, if, if you're having a seizure, your body temperature gets raised, you know. So there's different things that affect that, too. But then you got your liver mortis, and then that's the pooling of the blood in the body, and you can start to see it get fixed. And then you got the rigor mortis. The rigor mortis is the muscle tightening. The lactic acid in your muscles gets harder. So the, you'd look at those different things and see how stiff their muscles are. The muscles typically, in an average death, average person takes about 18 hours to start getting fixed hard. Um, So you get rigored and then it takes about another 18 hours for the rigor to leave your body. So, again, you look at the timelines and when they're last seen. You can check the body about temperature and liver and rigor and see if that coincides with what you're hearing about their time of last seen.
0: In terms of the training that you had at this body farm in Tennessee, how valuable did you think that was? Because to me, I almost feel like, boy, everyone should kind of have – just hearing you talk and how – intelligent you are about it. I feel like everyone on the force, at least that are investigating crime scenes, should have that kind of training. What, what say you?
2: Well, the National Forensic Academy is a fantastic training. It, it covers all the forensic sciences that you could come across and the most latest technology. So it starts with the very foundation of the beginning of that science and then through that week it'll all go to the very most recent advanced technology. And it's a very comprehensive. So it's an excellent school, excellent training for any crime scene technician. And it's also available to detectives, but it's primarily for crime scene to try to get more consistency and professionalism in the field. Um, So it's just consistent and that people have the correct knowledge because people get incorrect knowledge by watching TV or talking or social media.
1: We We talked about it on our way to the show, too. Like, okay, we got to fix the myths and hit them with fact.
2: Well, yeah, so it's it's an excellent training and it's very imperative. Um, to have it. Um, our f- training here at the police department is um, 14 to 16 weeks, depending on how many deceased individuals you have or cases you have during your training. And again, it's the same thing. You cover all the forensic fields here locally. You have mini mocks and you have a final mock crime scene here in your training, and it's all evaluated by the peers. Um, and it's a- an intense um, final mock scene, and it puts you under stress. You will make mistakes during your final mock scene here, but it's to help you learn and to train Mm -hmm. you. And then you work with your peers. You can't work a death scene for a year by yourself here in Fort Wayne. That's the policy. Mm. That way you're still learning and you're still getting training and you're not making a mistake that could cost an investigation.
1: Yeah. And I will say this, that most of our crime scene people, when they retire um, or even before they retire, become part of the coroner's office and they assist on you know, the death investigations. So that just, I think it just goes to show you the amount of training and the amount of uh, credibility Knowledge. that they have. Yeah. Um, that they can move on into that realm as well when they're done with the, with the crime scene.
0: So at these body farms, Chris, you're there, you said you're in the classroom for what, mm-hmm. about the first three-ish weeks. Yes. And then you move out into these kind of mock scenes. What was that like? I guess, okay, well, I mean, again, I'm trying to paint this picture of a body farm, and I feel like, I mean bodies certainly aren't just scattered everywhere, are they? Or is that how it is?
2: Uh, pretty much. Um, oh, okay. It started out with one or two acres, and then it's grown out to about 10 acres, I believe. It's fenced in. It's right behind the University Hospital of Tennessee. But at any rate, yeah, you go in, it depends on what they're wanting to study. And, and there's bodies different places. There can be 20, 30 bodies within that 10 acres all the time. Uh, when I went, we the one of the first things we did was find a scattered remain. So they scattered bones real bones in a foliage area before the leaves fell and then they did that on purpose and then when our class come in then they tell us this is the area that someone found a bone and it looks human and you need to go excavate the area the surface Mm -hmm. to find the rest of the bones so that was one of the weeks we did Um, another week was um, trying to find a cladestine grave and um, sometime about 18 months prior to our arrival previous classes had buried a human body, and we had to find the grave. And they teach you how to find the grave, how to find the edges of the grave, and then how to excavate it.
1: No kidding. Yeah, so much information again a, in a 10-week course. Um, and, and it blows my mind that this kind of stuff... Exists. Yeah. because this does kind of sound like the movies a little bit. But... It exists for people who aren't in the medical field. Like, Chris isn't a doctor. You would think that this would be relegated to doctors and scientists. But no, our Fort Wayne Police Department officers are receiving this kind of training. And that's what just, I think, puts us a cut above.
0: I don't know if you can answer this question or not, Sophia, but how often, I mean, I I would think most bodies are found in homes when you're called to these crime scenes, but are you often pulling bodies from the water or from the woods or the side of the road or...
1: Yes, uh, to all of that. Um, it, it's not like often, but, you know, a lot of the time bodies are dumped. Um, they may be killed some at another location. They're dumped in ditches. There might be water in those ditches. So mm-hmm. You have to account for the water. Um, there's also a lot of suicide that ha- occurs outside. Um, and then you kind of got to um, figure out, you know, all those and how long they've been there. And sometimes they're decomposing, sometimes they're not. Sometimes, you know, those hunters come across hunters come across that kind of thing a lot. And you don't hear that in the news so much because the news doesn't report on death, death Correct. by suicide. Correct.
0: We don't. Where yeah, I and, we're And most and most yeah. do,
1: do not in in our viewing area. So I mean, but that that's one of the things that that I think this helps with a lot.
2: In my history with the department. Um, I think I worked two burials, um, and I think both were in basements, both where they cut out the concrete, moved dirt out of the, below the concrete and buried the bodies in their basements. And I also, I don't know, many individuals in water, rivers, because of our three rivers, seems to collect decedents. Um, so I've worked quite a few of those. Um, I've worked a couple of dismemberments too as well um, I also worked the April Tinsley case which that was a 30-year oh, case wow, yeah. um, Dude, so we can spend a
0: whole episode I'm sure on that yeah, alone could. talk to me about water then how how I mean at the body farm was there any I mean bodies in water any way to research and study that
2: we did research and study it but we didn't have any bodies in water at the forensic Academy um, water accelerates decomposition by a mile faster than Mm -hmm. anything um they it depends on temperature but if it's not frozen water then you're decomping really a fast rate and in the summertime water just makes a human body a mess in several days it it really increases the decomposition
0: i don't know if this question's getting a little too nitty-gritty but i remember back in the day i was in high school i took college courses when i was in high school um, and it was a biology course I was taken, so we went to, like, a medical facility back where I'm from in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, where they had preserved bodies. And, I mean, I realized right away that I'm in the room. I mean, the smell of formaldehyde in that situation or what have you was really quite strong. I mean, the whole smell in general was just, for me, repulsive. I knew that was not going to be a line of work that I was going to pursue for my future. But, I mean, is there... I mean, like, I can't imagine the smell. You're walking mm-hmm. up on a body farm or a crime scene, for that matter. I mean, what, what's the smell like?
2: Well, it can be overbearing. Um, it's very, very strong. Um, it's a lot of people. In fact, we had someone one time training that had a forensic background degree, but then once they got into the field, it, they couldn't handle the gore and the smell and the touching of things you know and that, that's understandable because the, these people are normal we always joke around that we're not normal because who can do this kind of work Well, that's why i asked you, you how um, did
0: you get into the, this line of work <laughs> from the get-go because you do kind of
2: <laughs> fascination you know. and, and yeah. interest in it and um but the smell can be hard i mean i've been to some that you can smell a block away before you get to the home and I take a few steps in and try to get accustomed to it and take a few more steps in and get accustomed to it. And you got to get the work done. Someone's got to do it. It's not going to get done without somebody doing it. But so. their
0: masks, I mean, Sophia, you've said that you, and Chris, maybe I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too. You have said that you can can also smell death and help pinpoint almost time of death sometimes uh, when you smell certain smells. I think
1: there's a, a, a smell that emits from a body the immediate, at the at at the time of death. Mm-hmm. I just... I don't know if it's just me or if I'm just like an empath and I can feel that. But I think there's a distinctive smell to death. There's no.
2: definitely a distinction to death yeah. smell. And
1: especially the longer it's there because it's like mm. Chris said, it is overwhelming. Mm. And I know on TV they always put that like little thing under their nose. Yeah. That is that, is that real? Yeah. Does that no? That, no. no. Oh. That doesn't do anything but open up they're your sinuses. Like Vicks <laughs> paper <laughs> yes. rub or so it something. Doesn't yeah. Yeah. No, no. I think it just opens yeah. up so you can smell more. Are, I would <laughs> I would think it'd clear your passageways. <laughs> there are
2: odoriferous masks that you can wear, the stop the odor um, coming in, they're filtered masks, and you can wear those. And there are individuals in crime scene know they have warm I never have um and it's unpleasant but it's you know it's a short time you get in and you do your work and get out
0: well, like you said, you're able to kind of put those blockers on. Like, this is my job. Someone's got to do it. I'm just going to go in, do my job, and get out. Yes. Right. I mean, yeah. but
1: imagine how I mean Chris did it for 21 years. Imagine how many bodies he's seen, how mm-hmm. many times has he had to go in, and 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 they don't always go. It's not adult deaths only. It's ch- child death. Ugh, yeah, so you smell. know, you've got to you've got to have a strong mind and a strong will and a in a strong base um, as a person. To do 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 that job and do it well because it can really I think has a potential to really affect your mind after a while, and they just go in and they do they do they do and they do such at a at a great level that sometimes I think we miss like how is their emotional well being after Mm -hmm. seeing this day in day out day in day out
0: yeah though that's what I wonder too of just overall mental health yeah of people seeing this officers seeing this day in day out for what would you say you did this for almost i did 21 years, years yeah. in
2: crime scene and now i'm in the coroner's office doing yeah. the same thing and i've been in the coroner's office now for seven and a half
0: does that not mess with you a little bit in the mind
2: well i'm sure i'm not normal <laughs>
0: He's not normal.
1: but i will say this because he's got a strong faith base yeah um and i've known Good that for a long time long solid foundation a great support system a wonderful family mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I know he's taken care of on a several different levels. But, you know, when you're, when, as often as we talk on this show about what officers see on a daily basis, and then we always think of the street patrol officer, but we never see the people behind no. all of that investigation yeah. and what they have to do. And sitting through autopsies and uh, watching as men, women, children get cut open to, to you know, as they extract evidence mm-hmm. at, at times from the coroner, you know, from a coroner or a medical examiner. So there's just a lot that goes into an investigation and and I know people get very impatient with us when things don't go as quickly as they think they should, but we need to get it right. We get one shot at this. Right.
2: And TV really makes
1: makes misbeliefs, you know.
2: And when you tell somebody in the coroner's office, well, we'll have an autopsy report in 10 to 12 weeks. And it's like, what? You know, on TV, it's in an hour. You know or, or less you got your less answer. the whole episode's an hour you know the, right. so, the
0: the yeah. crime is solved there's a nice little boat right. put on it they it's got like, the bad guy like
2: the fingerprint. you know horatio down there and csi in miami he he can take a fingerprint and put it in a computer, and what is it, 30 seconds? He has a picture of the person, mm-hmm. and it's a positive <laughs> <laughs> ID. And he's address. on his glass screen. <laughs> it looks yeah. so pretty. You know, and that's not the way fingerprints work. You know, APHIS does help you, but APHIS is set up. Either you get a top 25 or top 50 or top 100. It gives you a score of who this person could be, and then the actual latent print examiner has to go and pull the hard card of that suspect and compare it. That's how APHIS works. It's not I like they have. showed on TV.
0: See, I Honestly, this is me. You I'm thinking there several, is some, We
1: could do several shows on whole crime
2: scene.
0: Yeah, some like <laughs> fancy computer system that does do it. Let me ask you this, Chris. So once you get back from Tennessee from this body farm, then did you hold like a, a training with other folks when you came back with other officers, or and in, in, like share your wealth of knowledge?
2: I did share with our crime scene unit. Um, there's uh, eight of us at that time in crime scene, patrolman and two sergeants. And yes, I would share it and with my command and. I had some more advanced training and equipment that we didn't have here, and we talked about different options of purchasing some of these equipments and things, but yes, it was constantly sharing my wealth of information, and also there's spinoffs of different training now from the Forensic Academy that you can go. If, if someone just wants to go for a two-week training on shallow grave study, you can do that.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, Sophia, amazing stuff. There you go. I'm amazing looking at you. stuff.
1: I'm like, I'm always like, this is like it's not my cup of tea to actually do on a daily basis, but I'm yeah. fascinated by the human body anatomy and all that stuff.
0: I'm with so. you. I'm fascinated by it, but it also would definitely not be something yeah. that I could do <laughs> on a regular basis. But Chris, I'm you know I'm thankful for you. You said it someone's gotta do it. Someone yeah. has to do that job. So I'm glad there are people like you out there that, you know, have the mental stamina. To take it on and to do it day after day after day for over 20 plus years. Because I'm not that person. I couldn't do it. Me either. Well, Sophia, I think we bring Chris back and we talk about the coroner's office. Yes. Next weekend. Um, Like usual, we're out of time. Chris, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I think this episode would pair really well. Um, We had on a guest a couple of months ago, Matt Toth, that they go in from like bio one and then clean up after Mm -hmm. the dead bodies yes. in homes or what have you. So listen to that so one and then, that that one, to and one. then <laughs> listen to this one. They're both kind of in the, in the same wheelhouse yeah. a little bit. Um, if you do want to go fetch that episode or listen to any episode of Unholstered, just search for us anywhere. You can download a podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere uh, via the Unholstered podcast. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM.
1: Podcasts by Federated Media.